Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. And now, here is Walter Bingham. Hello and welcome to the program for May 10th, 2022, which in the Hebrew calendar is the 9th of Iyar 5782. I am Walter Bingham, and because this is my first program since Easter, I want to belatedly say that I hope that my Christian listeners enjoyed their Easter holiday, that my Muslim friends had a happy Eid al-Fitr, marking the end of Ramadan, and that the Jewish listeners have inculcated the meaningful message of Passover and prayed for the redemption of our people and the total freedom of Jerusalem. Having prevented Jews from visiting the Temple Mount during the last two weeks of Ramadan, as well as preventing the annual Flag Day march to take its usual route, was, in my view, Prime Minister Bennett's final crime of treason. It has been apparent for almost a year that his actions are dictated by placating his Arab coalition partner Mansour Abbas and the votes of the Arab Ram Party. The list of his consent to their demands is well known. Bennett's reasons are also clear, to remain in power at any cost to the security of our country, to allow Arab construction while prohibiting Jewish housing development, and to surrender to the threats of Abbas to leave the coalition government, which would mean its demise. His latest request is to submit to the Jordanian demand to totally prohibit Jewish visits to the Temple Mount, or he may leave the coalition. However, I have long thought that even Bennett would have a red line, but unfortunately I was wrong. That color does not exist for him. His is the green line that prevents the establishment of Israeli sovereignty over our whole country. It really seems as if he is playing second fiddle to his coalition partner Mansour Abbas. We are effectively governed by the dictatorship of Abbas in government and I apply once more President Biden's words about another dictator to Bennett. For God's sake, this man cannot remain in power. It would be significant to see the result of a poll of Israel's Jewish voters about the popularity of our present Prime Minister. The return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel was prophesied in the Bible thousands of years ago and is coming true today. Shalom. Join me, Josh Wander, on Israel Unplugged. Listen in as we delve into the spiritual and physical aspects of the Jewish return to Zion. We'll discuss the biblically mandated, historic, and of course practical understandings of this incredible transition from exile to redemption. That's Israel Unplugged, every Monday on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. And now, here is Walter Bingham. We are again living in a world that mirrors the 1930s, where anti-Semites and political dictators act out their evil theory without being checked. 
Neo-Nazis all over the world celebrated the 20th of April because the greatest criminal of the 20th century was born in 1889. May that day serve as a warning to all the good people of the world because most have not yet learned from the past. The war in Ukraine is continuing and as I predicted in one of my earlier programs, the Russians are now concentrating on consolidating their hold on the Donbass region in the eastern part of the country, as well as trying to close Ukrainian access to the Black Sea. Putin is also punishing the Ukraine for the loss of his warship by indiscriminate air attacks of all the major cities. To further assist Ukrainian forces, I believe that NATO will finally decide to supply the fighter planes that Zelensky requires to defend against Russian attacks from the air. There remains, however, the problem of how to get them into Ukraine. NATO cannot fly them into Ukrainian airspace. If the answer is transport by road from Poland to an airfield in Ukraine, they may well become sitting targets for Russian bombs. The Russian attack on Ukraine has brought Poland very much into focus. Their 535-kilometer-long border has become a life-saving route for Ukrainians fleeing from the battlegrounds. And it is also a route for NATO weapons into Ukraine to supply their army. The Polish humanitarian efforts to accommodate and feed the refugees is highly appreciated by the free world. But I want to talk about quite another aspect of Polish government policy that is high on the agenda of the Jewish world. It is true that Poland was the first country that fell under the Nazi boot at the outbreak of World War II and suffered during their occupation. But throughout the history of the area, which is today's Poland, their population was often hostile to their Jewish neighbors. To this day, the Polish government under President Duda refuses to even consider any claims for restitution or return of Jewish-owned property and other assets. Their feeble excuse was that the period for claims has expired. But Poland's attitude is not new. My grandparents fled from the anti-Semitic pogroms in Poland at the end of the 19th century. It's no coincidence that the most notorious of all Nazi concentration camps was on Polish soil. And when we talk about Auschwitz-Birkenau, it immediately evokes a defensive attitude in official Polish circles stating that they were not involved. During the German occupation of Poland, a not insignificant number of Poles of all major ethnic groups collaborated with the Nazis. A conservative Polish estimate places the number of native Poles who served in the German Wehrmacht and the Waffen-SS at 295,000. Richard Kasmarek, a historian and director of the Regional Research Institute of the Silesian Library in Katowice, Poland, considers this very low and is inclined to put the numbers up to 500,000. Equally, large numbers of the civilian population gave voice to their anti-Semitic attitudes, 
causing Jews to be discovered and arrested. Their deportation to concentration camps had the beneficiary and welcome effect for Poles to relieve the acute housing shortage in the country. At the outbreak of war, some 3.3 million Jews lived in Poland. It is estimated that just 330,000 survived the war. I repeat here an interview that I conducted in 1998 with the then Polish ambassador to the UK. It illustrates very clearly that the dignified maintenance of Auschwitz-Birkenau as a Jewish memorial site for the 1.5 million Jews who were murdered there was not very high on the Polish government's agenda, but that the resting place of Poles who perished there was prioritised. Today I'm at the London Embassy of the Polish Republic where His Excellency the Ambassador Pan Richard Stemplowski has kindly agreed to answer my questions about recent events at the former Nazi extermination camp at Auschwitz and about the general running of this and other former campsites within Poland. A very good afternoon and thank you very much sir, for finding the time to speak to Spectrum listeners. There is considerable concern in the Jewish community here and in Israel and communities, uh, in fact, all over the world about the administering and the supervising of Auschwitz-Birkenau and of other similar camps. Isn't it plainly evident from what's been going on in recent years? Well, I, I, I share the concern and let me tell you that a lot of our spouses in Poland do share the concern, if only because we are in a very much similar situation. Actually, uh, we are free to act as we wish to uh, since 1989, as you know. And since that time, considerable effort has been made. Poles do understand how sensitive the question may be. But, however, due to the brevity of time, uh, I would say that our results um, are only partial. And I do understand that people may be getting impatient. To a degree, it's a, a, an understandable attitude. But nevertheless, Ambassador, your government has been accused of uh, insensitivity in not showing the right reverence and respect due to a place that's been estimated uh, variously, but at least one and a half million Jews were put to death there. And eyewitnesses uh, reported, for instance, that in 1991, children have been seen fishing in the very pond at Birkenau where it was said that the ashes of Crematorium 5 were tipped. In the same year, people were seen having picnics at Auschwitz 1. Doesn't your government care? Oh, well, I don't agree that this or the other government in Poland would be insensitive to such a sensitive matter. So I don't think people would be insensitive. But true enough, it's not uh, a topic or a matter number one from the government point of view, in all frankness. You know that Poland is undergoing an enormous social change right now, and this is one of many issues the government has to deal with. The fact is that all the, this whole complex of Auschwitz camps, plural, and adjacent territories, and some other places of, of this disastrous uh, 
Second World War history uh, are important enough to be taken care of and we should not be uh, sort of uh, led to concentrate on minutiae, minor things. I do agree that uh, much more could be done, should be done, and is being done. These issues have been very much um, relegated into an unwelcome position, and uh, people were not encouraged, to say the least, to take up these issues and so on and so on. So it's only now that we can do it. I think certain degree of patience would be very helpful, and again, I do share the concern. But I'm patience, not satisfied. So patience situation. for what? It's well, been now many years, 53 years. No, it's not so. 53 years. No, no, no. Since the campaign. No, no, it's eight years since 1989 that the Polish government and Polish society speaks in an open way about our losses, Jewish losses, Ukrainian losses, common relationship. It's for the first time that we can put things into the proper perspective. We are moving in the right direction, but we are very far from the desired end. Not everything has been done. A lot more has to be done, but we are moving in this direction. Okay, so then let's come a little nearer today into the time during which the Polish government was well and truly established, 1995. There were the 50th anniversary commemorations of Auschwitz, And at that time, the authorities made no attempt whatsoever to remove banners, anti-Jewish banners, which were draped all along the railings at the Catholic convent, which in itself, of course, as you know, was a matter of controversy in the 80s. Then I believe there were difficulties in being allowed to recite the Jewish memorial prayer. And uh, I am told that that was at the instigation of the then president, Valenza. You said that was minutia. This isn't minutia for Jews. Well, uh, let me tell you, where you have free speech and freedom of association, you will always inevitably have some extremist groups or individuals or organizations, and they may come up with impossible stories, slogans or banners or whatever. If I put those extremist um, manifestations against a background of what's going on in Poland, well, when I recall 1968 and compare it with the situation right now, 30 years later, let me tell you one thing. I am satisfied with what has happened in the recent years. Are you saying, Ambassador, that you are satisfied with what is happening at Auschwitz today? I'm telling you, uh, Auschwitz, uh, another point should be added to this. I am talking about Auschwitz here. We have... We have uh, the the following um, uh, phenomenon, that extremists in every country, in every camp... Don't touch the dial. You can hear more of the Polish ambassador's excuses about the conditions in Auschwitz after this break.
Hi, I'm Steve Miller. And I'm Matt Zucker. Join us for Lighten Up, where we take a look at the week's current events in Israel and from around the Jewish world through a humorous lens. If you've been paying attention during these crazy times, you know that it's a challenge to parody life anymore. But join Steve and I as we give it the old college try. Not only is being happy an obligation, but life is just too short to take it all so seriously. So join me, Steve Miller. And me, Matt Zucker. For Lighten Up every Monday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 p.m. Israel, only on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. And now, here is Walter Bingham. More from my interview with the Polish ambassador to London in 1998 showing that their general attitude has not changed. But another point should be added to this. I, I am talking about we have, we have, um, uh, we have uh, uh, the, the following um, phenomenon, that extremists in every country, in every camp, so to speak, from time to time, may succeed in drawing uh, attention of, 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 the, of the world media, national media, or whatever. Uh, in this case, uh, people are going there and are putting up crosses, for instance. I don't believe those crosses are going to stay there in such a shape as they are. I, don't, I know that the church is disapproving uh, it, uh, And again, I would not exaggerate with the significance of it. I don't like it. The government has condemned it. Uh, but I would say that the measures um, applied has to be in certain proportion to what has happened. Can we now move on to very recent times? You said things are getting better, Ambassador. Yeah. Well, in August last year, Nazi or neo-Nazi skinheads demonstrated at Auschwitz, as you probably know. A demonstration of this kind have to be sanctioned. I think if Jews were to stand in the center of Warsaw to wanting to demonstrate, they'd have to get permission. So, obviously, permission was given for that demo. So, things are not getting better. And then there was the uh, proposal of erecting a mini-mall at Auschwitz some shopping center. Well, there was uh, considerable pressure from all around the world and that idea was dropped. But in March this year, permission was given for a visitor center. There is a post office, there is a bank, there's a fast food shop. I don't think if I were taken around that I would have appetite to go into a fast food shop. Now, is that the right place to put such an establishment? No, and it's not being put up. Permission has not been granted, it is not being built, and, and, and it will not be built. So you're saying categorically that the mini-mall or any similar establishment will not be built at Auschwitz? Nothing will be built which would be contrary to the acceptable norm of international community and, the, and I would say, uh, universally shared values related to such a place of a mass disaster, whoever they were, Jews or Poles, whoever. What would be acceptable? Well, I think uh, there, there is a, a so-called strategic Auschwitz plan um, elaborated by the government. Uh, I think it's uh, developing right now. And uh, I know that the people who are responsible for, for this uh, strategic plan 
uh, are in touch with uh, the international organizations uh, which are concerned with that. I think we'll be satisfied pretty soon. Well, the fear is, of course, in Jewish circles uh, from the experience. Well, in some Jewish circles, let me tell you, because we are talking to various people, and, well, some people are quite rightly very nervous, and I do share again. I would have reacted probably in the same way. I do understand this position, but there are some other people who understand that the Auschwitz is not an issue number one for a country which is undergoing such a change. This is one of important issues. I'm not minimizing it. I'm not relegating it. I, I'm not uh, saying to you it's not important. No, it is important and pleasant sometimes. Um, we understand it. But this is not the only question we deal with. It is the question which, of course, concerns uh, Jew Jews all over the not world. Not only Jews. It concerns my pulse as well. What makes you think that Poles would like to see things done in a proper way? I'll come to that. I think the utterances of Cardinal Glenn are evident for that. But let me now come to this latest development of crosses. There are 50 wooden crosses that have been put up so far. The largest, I'm told, is 26 feet high. And the intention is at the moment to put up 152, it seems, uh, in memory of a group of 152 Poles who were shot there. There were 75,000 Catholics, it's estimated, uh, victims at Auschwitz and one and a half million Jews. By the same ratio of 152, that would make 4,000 um, stars of David. But there was, what it was there not... Uh, and an agreement that no symbols of religious or political uh, nature should be erected there. And putting up those crosses is in direct contravention of that agreement. Is it an interpretation of the Pope's call to defend the cross, perhaps? Well, the people who do it will obviously uh, refer themselves to, to the Pope, to God, to, 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 to whatever they want to. Gavin doesn't like this idea of putting up those many crosses. And the primate spoke about the, the big cross, but nevertheless he underlined that it was his own view. And we are waiting for the, the meeting of the conference, or the conference of the Polish Episcopate, in two weeks or so, and it's only they who are responsible um, for the process in this case. So I believe that they will put the house in order. I don't think it's going to ruin the Polish-Jewish relations or the Polish-Israel relations. We know that these are political demonstrations, hardly related to, to, to Jews or God or whatever. We have to control the situation, but at the same time, we would like to be attentive both to the sentiments of the Jews, to the sentiments of the Catholics, and not to restrict the freedom of association and freedom of free speech. I mean, the government would like to, to give the chance to the Episcopate to run things in the proper way. And I believe things will be settled down. I condemn this action. I, I think it's foolish. I don't think these people were realizing that they were hurting that much, both Poles and Jews, actually. Because well, I, feel, I feel hurt. We're talking, about, we're talking about Cardinal Glenn. He's known to, to have uttered many anti-Semitic utterances, so to speak. And but, 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 but let us and look. Lef Valenza also gave uh, his voice to the erection of the cross. Look, to look this. Even, even if this is true, which I, I, I can't really believe, even then we have 25,000 priests in Poland. You will always find someone whom you will not like. And I may even share your point of view.
And, uh, but that's another story. You should not focus exclusively on the negative side because what I'm thinking about is where are we going as a nation? The nation is going in the right direction. Extremists will not be allowed to hijack this progress. He said, for instance, very recently, it's nagging by Jews to get the crosses removed. The Guardian some days ago published an article in which Cardinal Lemp is quoted as saying, this land is Polish and attempts by others to impose their will is seen as impinging on the sovereignty of the country. But I could sign this statement as well, but it has nothing to do with crosses. But that's what was said in the context this is taken, of the crosses. No, this is taken from the context. I, I hear the whole statement. The whole statement is slightly different, is more balanced, and uh, Cardinal Glamp here is not referring to this specific crosses brought by this extremist movement there. And he's right when he tells the non one will come to Poland and tell us again what to do. We know ourselves how to settle the things. But having said that, I would like to assure you again that doing things properly, properly is to do in such a way as to share universally shared values. Would you allow, Ambassador, children to play, dogs to roam, bicycles, or people have shortcuts across uh, military cemeteries. It should be treated like a military cemetery with the due reverence and respect. Yes, I quite agree. I quite agree. And that hasn't been the case. The whole complex of the camp and adjacent territories are sort of a monument. Uh, the very name evokes um, uh, uh, very emotive feelings. We learned about Auschwitz as children. But, we, but let me tell you one thing. We never learned that it was a Jewish camp. That we learned... I quite agree with that's you. That's exactly the yeah. point. But, that's, but this is the new Poland which I'm talking about, that nowadays we are restoring the proper dimensions to the whole disaster, and we try to find proper attitudes to that. Okay, that's in, the change. Okay, in that case it should be the Polish government, should it not, uh, administering this. But uh, again, quoting from The Guardian... It says the centre-right government has restated its position that the matter rests with the church. In other words, the whole business of Auschwitz and its administration has been handed over, it seems, no. to the church. <laughs> no, 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 this is not true. Uh, I don't know what the Guardian says, but the Guardian is no authority in this case for the Polish ambassador. However, it's for the church to bring uh, members of the church, as it were, uh, uh, into order. They have to tell the members of the church that they don't behave in the proper way. Even Cardinal Glimp in his last statement is not talking about these crosses. He's talking about the papal cross, which is a difference. Because after all, you can't expect that in a country where you have 30 or so million Catholics, even more probably, people will not be allowed to have a cross where also their, their friends or parents or, or I don't know who perished. But the reasonable people know how to uh, take care of the sensitivities of the others. We know that the bulk of the, of, of the victims are Jewish. I do believe that uh, an agreement should be reached and a compromise reached uh, where which is going to allow both Jews and Catholics and Orthodox or whoever they are to be present there in a mutually, mutually acceptable way. And I don't see why intelligent cooperative people should not reach such an end. Ambassador Stemplowski, thank you very much. Walter Bingham at the Polish Embassy in London. It must be remembered that the ambassador 
does not make the policy, but that he will say things that put his government in the best light, considering that he was speaking to listeners in the United Kingdom who judge such matters from a Western perspective. I am interested to hear how you understand the Polish attitude, so please write to me to walter at israelnewstalkradio.com where you will always get my personal reply. Because I'm really interested how you read this interview. Stay tuned, there is more after this break. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. This is Shai Bentico, and each week I'll be webcasting to you from Judea, origin of the word Jew, a people besieged and beleaguered in every generation. Nazi Germany's but a memory, but in its place the world invented the phantom Palestinians as this generation's internationally authorized Jew killers. Tune in for a different slant on life in Israel, Phantom Nation, every Monday. Now a word about our neighbor state's perspective on the recent Arab attacks on Jews, particularly in the Old City and on the Temple Mount. The King of Jordan protested, quote, the provocative and unilateral actions of our security forces to arrest Arab youth and prevent them from hurling rocks down onto the Jewish Western Wall Plaza, but not mentioning that they collected the rocks and stored them in the mosque. President Erdogan of Turkey condemned the desecration of Haram al-Sharif, as the Muslims call the Jewish holy site, the Temple Mount, and he is referring to our soldiers stopping the riots and the stone-throwing. Is there a greater desecration of a holy building than to use it as a fortification from which to organize riots and store weapons? Is there a greater desecration of a holy site than to use it as a football field and cycling area? A few hundred Arabs barricaded themselves into the mosque again and threw stones and Molotov cocktails at the police, preventing Arab worshippers from entering. The several governments of states where human rights don't exist would do better to clear up their own abuses than to criticize the actions of Israel's defense forces who are engaged in nothing else but to secure our citizens from violent attacks. Shame on those governments. Shurat Hadin, the Israel Law Center, published the following. Jerusalem is under attack again. The Palestinians are carrying out violent provocations to ignite an international incident. Since 1967, not a day has gone by that Jewish sovereignty over the holy city has not been challenged by the nations around the world. The International Criminal Court is investigating Jewish communities in East Jerusalem, calling them a war crime. The European Union has consistently condemned Israel for building Jewish housing in East Jerusalem. The United Nations 
has put together a blacklist of Jewish-owned businesses in Jerusalem, labeling them violations of international law. The U.S. State Department has announced its plan to open a new consulate in Jerusalem for the Palestinians as a challenge to Israel's sovereignty over the capital. The Palestinians carry out daily murderous attacks against Israelis to assert Islamic claims over the holy places and calls for jihad against the infidels are heard daily on the Temple Mount. And finally, Arab schools in Jerusalem teach young children a curriculum of incitement and violence intending to encourage Muslims to wage a holy war against Jews to reclaim Jerusalem and to destroy the state of Israel. Although French President Emmanuel Macron has won the presidential elections for another five years, he is not out of trouble yet, because in June there is what the French call the third round of elections, and that is for the French National Assembly. If his party fails to win the majority, then Marine Le Pen will be able to frustrate his plans and promote her far-right policies. Le Pen's party, the National Rally, until 2018 known as the National Front, is French nationalist and far-right. She took over from her father, Jean-Marie Le Pen, who was a supporter of Hitler, but is making an effort to change the party's image and to distance herself from such policies. Nevertheless, were she to win, it would be a retrograde step for European democracy. It seems that Jonathan Pollard is generally keeping a low profile, but today I want to read to you a magnificent piece that he wrote on the Arutsheva website. After all the years I spent in prison, the natural inclination is to try to focus on rebuilding my life. That is what my beloved wife Esther and I tried to do during that one year of grace we were given together here. And that is what I am trying to do now, after I lost her. But the clear knowledge of the disaster that we are leading ourselves to, with the images of the past few months, and in particular the gut-wrenching massacre in Elad, leave me no peace. I simply cannot remain silent any longer. For decades, Esther went in my state to be with the families of fallen IDF soldiers and terror victims during their most difficult moments. I don't understand how she was able to stand it. Ever since her passing, I've been trying to follow in her footsteps, but I'm haunted by the faces of relatives who have lost everything and I tremble with a handshake. A hug at the funeral leaves my body and soul trembling, especially since, like them and like everyone else, I cannot flee the knowledge this loss could have been prevented. 
During the 30 years I was in prison, I lived with incredible fear and concern for my life. I had to have eyes in the back of my head. I couldn't sleep at night, concerned that someone would enter my room and stab either me or my roommate to death. I had to always carry a knife and be prepared to use it without hesitation. I constantly had to witness the horrible death of other people, especially my friends, that occurred suddenly and without warning. In prison, the most frustrating thing of all had to do with the fact that the officials in charge of protecting us were basically scared of the violent prisoners and accommodated them as much as possible. But plainly, our administrators wanted peace at any cost, even if it meant that innocent people were murdered without serious consequences to those who attacked them. We couldn't even rely on the guards to protect us. They didn't want an inmate injured by them taking them to court. I quickly learned that we didn't have a right to self-defense under any circumstances. People can't believe me when I tell them that we were always wrong if we tried to defend ourselves. And those who did were always punished excessively in order to make the point that they were no better than their assailants. It was total insanity. I prayed that when I came home I wouldn't have to live this way. I was wrong. Indeed, given what I've seen over the past year, it's even worse now for me because this time it's not about one or two people getting ransomly killed, but about an entire nation being traumatized by an army of cold-blooded anti-Semitic psychopaths who the authorities are afraid of provoking. I've seen this movie before and it never ends well. In prison, I had one or two good friends who watched my back and I watched theirs. And I lived under God's grace and tried to remember that you fear no one but God and strike first. Here, incredibly, I'm living with a whole country that is either scared to death or in denial. We are all suffering on account of a group of intellectually challenged political and judicial elites who have an infinite capacity to tolerate the suffering of our citizens, all the while insinuating that we are somehow responsible for all the violence we are experiencing. I see the faces of the captured terrorists after they carried out the terrible massacre in Elat, and I see clearly how they aren't afraid of prison. They know that they will get conditions many times better than what any common criminal would face and a stipend from the Palestinian Authority in honor of the murders they committed. I know perfectly well what a prison designed to deprive a prisoner of his will to live looks like, but here the conditions for the jail despicable murderers only encourages more terrorists to join the club. How can we let this situation continue for even a minute longer? I am tired of this. I am tired of seeing our so-called leaders taking our flag and washing out the blue and leaving only the white of surrender. I am waiting for somebody, a leader, a true Jewish leader, to come forward and put the blue stripes and the Magen David back on our flag.
I'm waiting for a leader that will put the fear of God into our enemies. I'm waiting for a leader who will act without any concern about what anybody else outside our country thinks. Whether it be the United States or the European Union, the UN or anybody else who believes they can tell us where we can live or how we are to defend ourselves. We know why we are here. God gave us this land, not the British Empire, the League of Nations, Washington or the UN. But despite this fact, it is sad for me to realize that our holy mission of re-establishing the third Jewish Commonwealth is not even halfway done. And this is because of our own fear and trepidation, not the result of our enemy's actions. As regular listeners to this program know, the Livestream program has a time constraint and I have to stop here. But you can hear the rest of Jonathan Pollard's words, in fact the whole program, by going to the Walter Bingham file page on our website where it'll be posted tomorrow and available on demand. We still don't have our land back. We don't have our self-respect back. We don't have our independence back the way we should have after 2,000 years of pogroms, crusades, inquisitions and genocidal attempts to eliminate our people. I have spent 30 years in prison hoping and praying that I would come home to a state that would defend me. Was I wrong? It certainly feels that way. A story my father often told me comes to mind. He said that a soldier's principal duty is to protect the lives of his comrades, not to let them down because some high-ranking officer was too scared to order a necessary but politically incorrect action. As I see it, our lives have essentially been reduced to such a battlefield where our citizens, my brothers and sisters, are forced to defend themselves and those around them, not only from the enemy, but from our own government, which is too scared to do what is required to eradicate the terrorist threat. This state of affairs is totally unacceptable. We desperately need to get rid of this galut mentality that prioritizes the need to understand our enemies over the security of our people. We simply can't think like the ten spies who attributed to others what they felt about themselves, namely that they were like grasshoppers. Well, I am not a grasshopper, and neither are my brothers and sisters in this country. We are the descendants of proud and noble warriors who feared only God and never hesitated to defend our land from some of the greatest empires the world has ever seen. But over many years, our leaders have relentlessly tried to have us forget this fact in favor of our adopting a more liberal postmodernism where we share our lands with those who openly seek to destroy us. No more. We must reject this type of cynical defeatism before it kills us. It is time for us to regain both our individual and collective self-respect. It is time for our nation to demand that our leaders care about us rather than their foreign masters. 
it's time for our elected representatives to finally eliminate once and for all all those groups and countries who seek to destroy us. Lastly, we want the Army High Command to wake up and stop pretending that managing the enemy is an acceptable strategic doctrine. It isn't. It is a form of appeasement that preserves our opponents while making us look weak and stupid. I know we can enact these essential reforms. If we actually want to be an independent country, we have no other choice. Indeed, these goals should be seen as sacred obligations we must embrace, not only for our sake, but also for the sake of our future generations. May God grant us the wisdom and the strength to do so. Those were the words of Jonathan Pollard. Let me add my own suggestions of how to deal with terrorists who kill our people. We have on the statute book the death penalty. It has only been used once, but that is what should be done to everyone who kills one of our people. Finally, on a lighter mode, have you ever thought why the sun lightens our hair but darkens our skin? Why women can't put on mascara with their mouth closed? Why we never see the headline Psychic Wins Lottery? Or why abbreviated is such a long word? Why doctors call what they do practice medicine? Why a person who invests all your money is called a broker? And why there isn't mouse-flavoured cat food? Have you ever thought who tastes dog food when it has, quote, a new and improved flavour? Or why they sterilise the needle for lethal injections? And why sheep do not shrink when it rains? Have you ever thought why some accommodation is called apartments when they are all stuck together? And why they call the airport the terminal when flying is so safe? And if con is the opposite of pro, is congress the opposite of progress? And so I end for today. This is Walter Bingham wishing all my listeners continued happy holidays and please do not forget that particularly at times of festivals when families get together, many older people feel their loneliness even more. Please spare some time to visit your elderly neighbour. That merits God's greatest rewards. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> us look weak and stupid. I know we can enact these essential reforms. If we actually want to be an independent country, we have no other choice. Indeed, these goals should be seen as sacred obligations we must embrace, not only for our sake, but also for the sake of our future generations. May God grant us the wisdom and the strength to do so. Those were the words of Jonathan Pollard. Let me add my own suggestions of how to deal with terrorists who kill our people. 
we have on the statute book the death penalty. It has only been used once, but that is what should be done to everyone who kills one of our people. And so I end for today. This is Walter Bingham wishing all my listeners continued happy holidays and please do not forget that particularly at times of festivals when families get together, many older people feel their loneliness even more. Please spare some time to visit your elderly neighbor. That merits God's greatest rewards. Thank you. Goodbye. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too. Advertise with Israel News Talk Radio and get your message out to people. We'll build a personalized package for you. Contact advertising at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jake in Anchorage, Alaska, and I love listening to all the super interesting interviews and up-to-date information on what's happening in Israel. Hello, this is Anna King, originally from London, now living in Israel. And what can I say? Israel News Talk Radio is my cup of tea. My name is Bhaskar. I'm from India, and I love listening because you get to know the truth and wonderful voices from this lovely country. Mom! Okay, wait a minute. Hi, this is Chava Dax, and I'm calling for the rolling hills of Malaya Dumim, just north of Jerusalem. I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Dax from Malaya Dumim, and I'm 12. I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom! You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.